0: It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KOMA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello, and welcome to Cadillac On Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. Each week, we are here to share with you the latest health news and information on topics important to our community and our region. For the past three years, it's been COVID. The past several weeks, the flu and rsv tonight a new public health concern the first case of avian or bird flu in a commercial flock in the state of washington and that commercial operation happens to be located within benton and franklin counties this news comes as we continue to see high incidences of respiratory illness in our community including flu and rsv so what does this latest detection of bird flu mean for all of us we welcome to our program Heather Hill, the Communicable Disease Program Manager with the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, I know this news is just out this evening. What is the most important thing you would like our listeners to know right now?
1: I think the most important thing, Jim, is for our listeners to realize that there isn't a significant risk to human health at this point in time. This is a strain of, of avian or bird flu that does appear to be highly lethal to to birds, particularly chickens. And honestly, over the last year or so, particularly last summer, we were seeing cases of birds down in Columbia Park dying, and when they were tested it was avian influenza. So we knew that this virus is circulating within the population in, in our our community. We know that we've heard reports of backyard farmers, you know, people who have a few chickens in their backyard, have reported some increase in death rate in their chickens in the backyard. But you're right, this is the first time a commercial producer has um, dealt with it on that large of a scale in Washington State. There have been a lot of them around the United States. Twenty-nine states have had commercial and backyard poultry outbreaks, so we know this isn't new to the industry, but it's new to Washington State, so we want to do our due diligence you know, from the public health perspective to assure the public um, that this type of flu typically does not transmit into humans. In fact, there's been only one case in the United States where it actually did transmit into a human, and, and, and that's been it. So we know it can happen. It is extremely rare. Um, if a human does catch it, the symptoms are often very similar, which, of course, for us is a concern right now because we're at such high rates of seasonal influenza. We don't want people to get overly concerned, oh, my goodness, is this bird flu or is this seasonal It is highly likely to be seasonal if you do come down with flu. But what we're trying to do is um, work with the employees to help ensure that everything is being done for their safety, for their health, the health of their family. So we're working closely with that company to ensure that the best things are happening for their employees as
0: possible. And we'll uh, touch more a little bit on the employees in a moment. I want to share this information. It's fairly fresh this afternoon and this evening, and the lead agency is the Washington State Department of Agriculture, and I want to read directly from their press release because there is some information that I think is important for our listeners to know. And it talks about this operation, the large operation, as this reads, reported high numbers of sudden death in their chickens in a single barn at one of their farms Two Ag Department officials last week and other birds were lethargic and showing additional signs of illness, prompting an investigation by state and federal veterinarians. The Washington Animal Disease and Diagnostic Laboratory received samples the same day and reported non-negative results late Friday afternoon. State officials label non-negative results as presumptively positive until confirmatory results are in and officials hope to receive confirming results uh, sometime later this week. State officials did quarantine the affected premises to prevent the spread of disease. Rapid, humane euthanasia of all birds on the premise is critical to contain the outbreak, and poultry products from this flock will not enter the food supply system. And Heather, that being said, uh, those words from the State Ag Department, are you able to share the name of the impacted operation, and what is being done to the employees of that farm that you alluded to a moment ago?
1: Sure. We're not able to um, actually release any other information regarding the facility, but what we can assure you is that we have been in communication with the facility. We are working closely with them and their employees. We're doing symptom monitoring, so our job is to um, monitor for symptoms. Should one of the employees come down with influenza-like symptoms, we are prepared to do testing, which would be sent to the state lab they would be able to determine which kind of flu they had, if it were to test positive, and then working to provide any treatment meds that might be necessary for this population of employees out there. So our goal also is to assure, um, one of the points you brought out in the USDA or the WSDA uh, release was no risk in the food chain, and that's a really important fact for people to understand that cooking of egg products, ch- cooking of chicken products would kill this virus should it happen to be in the product. Um, the biggest risk to people is if they come in contact with the um, secretions, the saliva, the feces, what comes out of the, of the chicken, and they end up getting in contact with that, in getting in their eyes or nose or mouth, inhaling it. That's how it would potentially transmit to humans again highly, highly unlikely to transmit to humans that we can't say it absolutely won't. So food products are not a risk, are not a concern. Um, I think it's also important since we do live in an agricultural community and a lot of people have backyard flocks that um, the Washington State Department of Agriculture does have a telephone number for people to call if their back yard chicken flock is ill, are dying, and we'll have this information posted on our website so that people can get to that information quickly, easily, and report any unusual bird deaths.
0: And that was essentially my next question is the other poultry growers and operators and owners, including those who manage domestic backyard flocks, what should they be doing? Is it just a case of monitoring their, their flocks?
1: They really do need to watch their flock closely for any signs of illness. And if they are seeing illness, if they are seeing unusual deaths, then by all means report them to the, the phone number that we will have on our website and let the Washington State Department of Agriculture know.
0: And, and the particular operation where this is impacted, is there a, I don't know what the word is, I guess for lack of a better word, a quarantine zone? In an area around where that particular growing operation exists,
1: they have um, stated a a quarantine zone around, and you can find this information on their website. So it's about a, I believe, a six mile radius, which does a You know, it encompasses a large part of Benton and Franklin County, and that's why this really is a a multi county concern in that we want to get this information out to the people within our jurisdiction because this affects, you know, the life, the health, and unfortunately, this business. And that is part of the tragedy of these situations. It really does impact that business um, quite badly when we see this high a death rate in, in their flocks.
0: And again, that lead agency is the Washington State Department of Agriculture. And the phone number for public inquiries that Heather mentioned, I'll give it to you quickly, 1-800-606-3056, 800-606-3056. And one more question before we go to break, Heather, is uh, this is a time where a lot of uh, sportsmen are out hunting. What should they be doing?
1: Well, we've always encouraged, um, especially people who are out uh, waterfowl hunting, we know that it can be found in that waterfowl population. So we always encourage those hunters to use caution with, um, when, especially when they're gutting out their animals, when they're cleaning their animals, to, to wear gloves, use those latex gloves, and watch where they're, they're putting the remains of the bird. Don't let the feathers fly around where they could get into a backyard flock. Um, so try to contain the the products that are perhaps blowing around from this bird that you're cleaning, um, that you just brought in from, you know, out hunting.
0: And before we go to break, just a quick maybe 15-second synopsis of, uh, like as you said, of, of what the public's uh, context should be with all of this.
1: You know, there's no reason for the general public to have fear that they're going to be exposed or they're going to catch avian influenza. It's a rare, rare occurrence. If it does food products are safe to eat, eggs, chicken products, heating, cooking, these products does kill it. Um, but just be aware that it is happening in our community. It is happening across Washington state. And if you come in contact with a dead bird like last summer down in the park, don't handle the dead birds. You just want to leave those animals alone. And again, you can reach out to the um, Washington State Department of Ag and uh, get information on what to do if you come across dead
0: birds. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. She will be with us for one more segment, a little more discussion on the ongoing respiratory virus issues we're facing in our community. And we'll do that right after this. Welcome back to Catholic On Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. In our top story today, the first case of bird flu, or avian flu as it's known, in a commercial flock in the state of Washington has been uh, detected in our region. And while experts say there is little to no risk to the public, it is certainly impacting flock owners. And in the midst of a significant presence of RSV and the flu in humans, we want to make sure we're addressing the current situation uh, as best we can and as uh, informatively as we can. And we're visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District, who shared important advice in our first segment. And for the latest information, you can monitor the health district's website at bfhd.wa.gov. And we want to ask Heather a little bit now on the latest on the high level of respiratory virus in the region that's been plaguing us for weeks now. And Heather, what is the current state with flu and RSV and the impact that it's having on our local health care system?
1: Sure. What I can tell you, Jim, today we actually did get a, an alert from Washington State Department of Health letting us know that blue rates are extremely high all across Washington State, and, and that certainly holds true right here in the mid-Columbia region. A week ago, we held a joint press conference with all four hospitals, and the, um, each hospital reported out on what they're dealing with. And, you know, once again, just like during covid they're dealing with staff shortages, some supply shortages, bed space shortage. And so not only are our staff, unfortunately, we're having a staffing crisis, anyways, in healthcare in general. But then during a time like this, when you have family members or children who become ill and a staff member has to stay home and take care of them, that certainly impacts um, the healthcare system quite a bit. Uh, We then had our monthly meeting with our infectious disease um, professionals in the community just this week and once again um, learned that, yep, it is still very, very busy. Um, Bed space is short um, supply. We're hearing of, um, you know, we usually think of RSV in children, but we're hearing of reports of the elderly being hospitalized with RSV, So it isn't just a childhood illness. So plenty of RSV out there in the child population as well as that adult population. Certainly COVID is starting to creep back up again. But the the heavy hitter right now does happen to be influenza. And it is, um, once again, significantly impacting our, our hospitals, the bed space, the staff. And there are some shortages out there of treatment med called Tamiflu and it's been um, difficult to get all across Washington State. So we've reached out to the Strategic National Stockpile, and we'll be able to help make sure that those high-risk environments who are experiencing influenza outbreaks like long-term care facilities um, will have access to this drug as much as we are able to get it to them. The most important thing people can do right now again, is vaccinate, 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 get vaccinated for influenza, get vaccinated for COVID. You can't get vaccinated for RSV because there isn't one yet. So get vaccinated for those illnesses that we can vaccinate against. And we know that if you get influenza vaccine on board and you still catch the flu, you are much less likely to end up hospitalized and certainly less likely to die from the flu. And we're trying to keep people out of the hospital, out of the acute care facilities again, just like we were during the peaks of COVID. Same thing is true right now with influenza. We need the community to do the best they can to get vaccinated, use those mitigation strategies we've been talking about now for several years with respiratory infections, and help keep our hospitals ready to take care of the most acute illnesses and get vaccinated so you don't end up there.
0: And another key point, and, and we stress this weekly during COVID, is, you know, if you, don't, if you don't do it for yourself, do it for the vulnerable people in our population. Many of them are going to probably be maybe your elderly relatives or young children. Where are we at with schools and I guess the the elderly population with it? Are we starting to see impacts in those areas?
1: We absolutely have, especially in the school system. We're seeing some very, very high absentee rates up in the 20% range. And when we do ask what's the reason, a lot of times it is that respiratory infection that's keeping kids home. There's been some rumors out there that influenza vaccine is short supply, that providers can't get it, and that's absolutely not true. We've checked with our Department of Health partners, and they say no. Any pediatrician who wants access to influenza vaccine for their kids can absolutely get it. Same thing holds true for adult vaccines. There is no shortage. And it appears that this year's vaccine is a really good match for the seasonal flu that seems to be circulating in the United States.
0: Is part of our problem just the fact this, what we call COVID fatigue of people that are just so tired of this that it's like, you know, they're just going to bow their back and and basically ignore public health advice?
1: I think there's many reasons why people don't get vaccinated, but certainly during the COVID pandemic, people started to become a little less likely to get vaccinated, and we saw a significant decrease in the number of people who got vaccinated for influenza. And we know there's a cumulative effect. When you get vaccinated year to year to year, your your immune system does have some memory of the past vaccine. So we've lost some of that cumulative memory in our immune system by not getting vaccinated in large rates. So we have a, a very vulnerable population, not only to RSV like we've talked in the past, but certainly to influenza as well.
0: One question that we could probably spend a, an entire segment on, and that's what's called long COVID. And as you touched on that uh, COVID numbers this time of the year would be predicting to, to inch back up, but what what can you share what are we knowing about uh, this long covid i i have anecdotal you know acquaintances where people that i've talked to who know either know somebody or they themselves have been you know they've been determining that i think i have this long covid that that it won't go away
1: it is an interesting phenomenon that medical scientists are are looking at to really try to figure out what's the mechanism Anecdotally, you're exactly right. We hear a lot of different systems being affected by the COVID virus. And as a result, a fair number of people continue to have problems with those body systems uh, for months and months and even a year or more later are still saying, I have not gotten completely over those symptoms. And one of the big ones is brain fog. You hear a lot about people saying, my foggy brain that I had during COVID just hasn't gone away. And it's to the point some people have not even been able to go back to work. We hear about people having chronic lung disease from the effects of COVID on their lung tissues. That just isn't improving to the point that they're able to get back to their regular level of activity pre-COVID. So we know it's true. We know it's real. We hear a lot of reports of it. And I think Medical scientists are certainly looking at what exactly is the mechanism going on to cause this, and then well, how can we treat it? How can we improve the life for these people? But again, get your vaccine on board so that you ultimately you know, don't have a really bad case of COVID. The vaccines are really good at helping decrease the severity of your illness and therefore decreasing your likelihood of having long COVID symptoms.
0: One final question before we'll let you go, and that is kind of tied to what we touched on with with getting vaccinated but is it the advice when you're sick, stay home because i I hear so many stories of people going to work not 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 feeling well, and this is highly contagious,
1: no matter what you're suffering from, if you are ill, you really do need to stay home. And I know some work environments really struggle with that, especially the retail industry. It's hard to get employees. We really need to not only do our employees and their families a favor, but we need to do the general public a favor by not having sick employees because they will pass it on to your customers. And you want your customers to be healthy so that they can keep being your customers. Um, office environments are an amazing place to transfer germs because we share so much in that office environment space so again when you're sick stay
0: home heather hill with the benton franklin health district Uh, seems like every wednesday some sort of timely information to share with you and as always thanks for your time when we come back we're going to spend some time talking about holiday safety and we'll do that right after this Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. And a reminder, if you missed any part of our program, Catholic on Call is available via podcast. Just search Catholic on Call wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. As we are on the air tonight, the date is December the 14th. So we're nearing ever so close to the Christmas holiday season. School will be out, I think, after this Friday. And we wanted to spend some time in the second half of our program just focusing in on holiday safety and some of those uh, wintertime safety tips that are so important during this time of the year. And who better to do that than a, an old friend of ours, Annie Goodwin, with the Benton Franklin Health District. Uh, Annie has uh, just done some stellar work in community health safety all in a variety of areas over the years, and and we wanted to tap into her expertise tonight. And so she's uh, graciously agreed to join us for a few minutes tonight to share us with that. And Annie, why don't you maybe, be, let's start with with the roads. Certainly we we still have snow on the ground the temperatures are are still very chilly and will continue to be for a while and what's what's the the key things that that we all should need to know as we before we get out you know maybe just not even dr- necessarily driving around town but maybe if if we're getting ready to go on maybe a, a longer trip for the holidays you know
3: it's just as important oh and thank you Jim hi how are you it's yeah. nice to talk <laughs> to you again um You know, it's just as important whether it's a short ride around the block to see the Christmas lights or it's a long trip to go visit family somewhere Mm -hmm. else. Uh, The number one thing is to buckle up. Um, It is just so devastating uh, to hear about crashes that have happened even recently where the uh, people in the car were not buckled up, and those are more often than not fatalities. Um, So, you know, buckle up every ride, every time. Um, you know another one is to check your child's car seat or booster seat so make sure that it's in there and installed correctly if you need to uh, check a look at a checklist there's ones available on uh, safe kids website or you can talk to a certified child passenger safety technician in the community that can double check your work and you can find those also online um, or you can call our office and we can get you set up with somebody as well
0: and one of the things that uh, back to the just the the driving and and it even happens heck it it took me an hour to drive home from uh from north richland to my house in south richland one day last week just an hour and so i guess that illustrates your point that make sure you have uh equipment in your car in, in case you do just get stuck in traffic or you get you get sidelined for some reason
3: that's right you know make sure that you uh get your car ready to drive out of the parking lot first that may take an extra 10 or 15 minutes to uh Get the ice and the snow off your windshield and off your headlight. Um, make sure that you've got, you know, some water in the car. You said it's, uh, it's taken me over an hour to get home as well. Um, so, And that you have, uh, you know, that your car is, is ready for travel, that you've got good tires, uh, that you've done uh, appropriate uh, upkeep and maintenance, and um, that you, if you do get stuck or you do get in a crash, that you've got, gloves and a hat and a coat and uh, all of those things you know whether you and some of the safety equipment if you've got flares and things that the uh, that you might need at that point in time as well.
0: And I know this this is advice you would share I'm guessing any day throughout the year but and that's the distracted driving certainly with it getting darker earlier in the day and in the evening uh, it just makes it more more difficult to see pedestrians and so all the more reason to 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 stay away from being distracted.
3: Exactly. Um, whether you know, as the driver, you need to be paying attention to what's going on around you. Um, you know, keep, commit to not having your phone there. And if you do have a hands-free phone, that you are paying attention to the road. And if things are bad, you may want to not be answering that call. Um, but no text message or playlist is, is worth the risk of that one second, as you you have no idea when you're going to hit a slick spot. And as far as pedestrians. Just recently we were driving and I, you know, caught this person off the side of my, off the side of my eye. And I said to my, my husband was driving, I said, did you see that? And he didn't even see him because the person was dressed in very, very dark clothes walking on the shoulder. So if you are a pedestrian, you know, if you can please wear something reflective or wear some light-colored ro- um, clothes so that the drivers can see you. Um, you know, this is especially true when you're, when you're shopping and backing out of parking spaces. Not only do the pedestrians need to be aware and watching for folks and holding on to the kid's hand, but as a driver, you've got to really check, double-check, and triple-check where you are because it is so crowded and uh, there's just so many people around.
0: And, and interestingly, as you touch on the, the pedestrian uh, walking around neighborhoods and the like, it, it, it's it's the issue of of shoveling sidewalks and, and, and that issue. And obviously some people have the physical limitations or they might be elderly and, and not able to do that. So if you happen to have an elderly neighbor, a neighbor offer to go and sweep off their sidewalks, but certainly since the weather's been so so chilly, some of these sidewalks can be quite dangerous. And I guess to that point you just made, it pushes people out to walking in the streets. Mm-hmm. And
1: it is, uh, it,
3: it's dangerous can be deadly, especially on, a, on these very slick uh, and difficult days. Um, so the, be aware that defensive driving that we were all taught uh, during driver's, driver's education, <laughs> no time that it become more important than when we have this inclement weather that we're working through.
0: And then certainly for younger drivers, too, is uh, be conscious. Uh, they should, you know, if you're a parent, make sure you're your teen and most likely would be, as a result, a newer driver, that they know how to drive in winter-like conditions.
3: You know, this is when it's that great time to take them out to a a nice parking lot that uh, may not have been plowed yet (laughs) and get them the expertise and the experience of driving in, in this type of weather with these type of roads. It's one thing to read the book and learn about it and, you know, all you need to steer into your turn and if your car goes this way, steer that way. And it's another thing when you have to think and do all at the same time. And, you know, don't use your brake, use your brake. What, you know, it's all so different. So getting those young drivers out there where they can practice in a safe place is real important.
0: And I know organizations like Cadillac and, and the Health District have partnered for years in helping to evolve the, the Safe Kids Coalition, and I know that national coalition of safety and I know you've been intimately involved in it for a number of years are those are, are we touching on the key people the points that people should not know, be knowing about uh, I guess from a from a kid's standpoint a safe kid's standpoint
3: yes we are um, that's exactly where I went to get my information for tonight to make sure I was up to date with things. <laughs> uh, you know um, we've been with uh, we've been a, a Safe Kids Coalition um, for a long time. I'm not going to say how long because that will tell you how long I've been here. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, it's, uh, you know the Safe Kids is a is a wonderful organization that is really exists to prevent injuries so that families can make really really wonderful memories and not have the memory of being in the emergency room during the holidays.
0: We're visiting with Annie Goodwin with the Benton Franklin Health District and a longtime supporter and participant and leader in our community and of, of a coalition focused on childhood safety. And we have one more segment with her uh, before we leave this evening. And when we come back, we want to spend some time talking about uh, some of the indoor things that we can all keep in mind as we get ready to enjoy a wonderful holiday season. We'll be back with more of Catholic On Call right after this. Welcome back to the program. We're visiting with Annie Goodwin with the Benton Franklin Health District talking about holiday safety and especially with a focus on our children. And Annie, uh, we've talked about importance, uh, tips on we should be following when we're out driving around and, and heading uh, to and fro during the holiday season in our cars and, and outdoors. How about inside? I know, especially for kids, there's a, a lot of things, you know, with, I know holiday lights and all of that kind of thing, but relative to, to children, maybe let's start with uh, with with medicines and those kinds of things. Uh, certainly kids are going to be, a lot more kids are going to be running around with their families and uh, during the holiday season. What's your advice with that?
3: You know, a, a lot of people are going over to visit grandma and or go to visit another person's house. And so um, getting the, getting things safe for the kids to come. Um, You've got lots of different ages, but, you know, the number one thing is to get that medicine up and away and out of reach and out of sight of children. Um, If you need to dispose of medicine, you can go to the health district's webpage, bfhd.wa.gov, and do a how do I dispose of medicine, and I'll take you to a webpage on how to do that. Um, Even things like laundry packets and cleaning products so that they are out of the way and, and, you know, just, reduce that potential for poisoning exposures to kids. And I would have the poison control center phone number printed out and put it on your phone or on the refrigerator or wherever you're going to see it. And that's 1-800-222-1222, very easy to remember. Um, And just have that posted so in case something does happen, you've got that number
0: and another topic that I know is is important all throughout the year, but certainly during the holiday season when more people are indoors, is people that have firearms and the importance of making sure they are stored safely. And I know Safe Kids and the coalition in the Tri-Cities has done a lot of great work over the years in partnering with, with community agencies and corporate partners to make sure there are opportunities for people to have uh, ways to safely store their weapons. But certainly if you do, make sure you're utilizing them.
3: That's right, um, you know, and it's not only just for children, but also this time of year there and around the holiday season, we see a lot more, a lot more depression and the potential for, um, for, you know, things to happen. So store those guns securely, you know, have them unloaded and locked and make sure that your firearm is separate from your ammunition. Um, keep them out of children's reach and sight. Um, and I can't tell you the number of times that I've talked with families where, you know, what they said was, I didn't know the kid knew where it was. But leaving them unsecured or a place where a child can gain access can definitely lead to injuries and fatalities. So utilize uh, utilize lock boxes and um, the, the trigger locks is, is the best way to go.
0: In relative to cooking, I know uh, certainly kids are, are running around when moms and dads and aunts and uncles are, are busy cooking food over the holiday season. But that can also be an area if you got, especially young children that are that are running around uh, inside the house. Uh, make sure that maybe they're not in an area where there is uh, burners and access to hot water.
3: You know, those little fingers uh, just you know come up and reach the countertop real easily and the person cooking, you know, this is their house and they're used to having, you know, using the burners in a certain way, but, you know, maybe using the back burners or making sure those handles are turned around to the back side, but keeping those hot foods and liquids out of the kid's reach and talk to the kids and the younger ones that can listen to you and about having a kid-free zone. And and sometimes you just don't need them underfoot because you're going to trip when you turn around and the child's there. Um, it's, It's almost Almost the same as having a pet there, which is a whole nother story. Um, if you're visiting a house that has pets, um, those pets may not be used to children. Um, and this can stress the dogs out or the cats out um, as much as it can the kids who want to touch and play with them. And, you know, you may run into issues with, with biting that, you, just never, you know, dog never bites. Well, it does if you step on their tails.
0: Yeah, yeah. I can certainly relate to that. we just got a second dog. She's wonderful, but yeah, you know, the, the holidays will be if we're around kids, we're very uh, concerning about that. I wanted before we let you go, I wanted to have you touch real quickly, if you would, on the area of fire safety. and, and I know with, especially with real trees and even if they're, they're artificial trees, they can actually go up pretty quickly as well. What's the key advice there?:
3: Well, pay attention. And don't forget to water. If you've got a natural tree, make sure that you're watering them regularly. And, you know, initially that can easily be twice a day. Um, Pay attention to as the needles are getting dry. Depending on when you put that tree up and what your house is like, check those needles. And when they start to get dry, that may even be before your holiday season, it may be time to get it outside. Um, Don't leave your lights on when you're leaving the house or when you go to bed. And continue to check those lights for any exposed or frayed wires or connections. Um, Another big thing there is this time of year, folks who don't use candles, maybe during the year, use candles at this time of year. Consider using the artificial or flameless candles or the battery-operated ones. Um, If you do have candles, make sure they're at least 12 inches away from anything that might burn. Make sure that you blow them out before it's... um, before you leave. And again, this is another one with dogs and pets. Um, Those can easily be knocked over and cause an issue. So um, the other thing is double check your smoke detectors. If you didn't change your batteries when you changed your clock, make sure you do so now. Make sure you've got working smoke detectors outside of each bedroom and on each level of your house.
0: Annie Goodwin with the Benton Franklin Health District. As always, uh, wonderful advice and important advice during the holiday season. Annie, thanks so much uh, for joining us tonight. Great to catch up, and we'll talk again soon. Uh, before we leave, I do want to address uh, uh, some, some somber news. Uh, the Catholic family has seen three very important people uh, pass away in the last few weeks. Uh, they are Press Billings, was a longtime volunteer at Catholic Regional Medical Center, He was a patient escort and probably was as nice a person as you would encounter when you'd come into the hospital, helping people navigate their way around the hospital. Press recently passed away, and we're sorry for all our condolences to his family. Another gentleman by the name of Bob DiLorenzo, and he was very active in an organization called the Catholic Neurological Resource Center. Uh, His wife uh, succumbed to Alzheimer's and dementia a few years ago. And Bob, after she passed, became a strong advocate in our community for Alzheimer's and dementia care. And he led uh, volunteer support groups over at Cadillac for a number of years. And Bob also recently passed away. And finally, Mike Lawrence. Uh, Many of you know him for his work with the Department of Energy over the years here in the Tri-Cities. Mike was also a very ac- active board member for Catholic Regional Medical Center in the Providence system. And Mike has recently passed away. Three very important people to the Catholic family and to the tri family. And we-, uh, we wish all of their families uh, our deepest condolences. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great holiday season. And we'll talk again next week.